Hello, everyone. Glad that all of you guys are here. Peace to you, too. Tell you, it's good. <laughs> hey, I'm glad that you guys are here in the midst of just all the things that are happening in the world. You know, we're going to be starting a new series, and it's called The Thrill of Hope. And why don't you join with me as we just go and just read the scriptures today. And so why don't you guys open up your Bibles. Um, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. And, you know, since we're talking about Christmas, saying Merry Christmas to one another, and Merry Christmas to all of you online also. Hey, you know, a lot of we get reminded by just a story that we kind of are very familiar with. Let me read from chapter 1. We're going to verse from verse 18. And I'll just summarize a little bit of this too. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to dissolve, divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will, be, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but, Mary, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. We know that in chapter 2, it kind of goes off in the fact that it talks about King Herod. And hearing about a child that is about to be born, king of the Jews. He herself proclaimed himself king of the Jews. And so he wanted to kill this child. He sends these wise men, they would say, to look for this child. But when, this child, when they find this child, they do this in verse, um, let me just start in verse 11. It says, and going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down to worship him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by their own way. Amen. That's the reading of God's word. You know, we are starting a new series, and it really is a thrill of hope. And it's an interesting title because, I don't know, we're very weary. And so our subtitle to this whole thing is, The Weary World Rejoices. Say that ten times fast. The Weary World Rejoices. And it's a very appropriate title because many times we are weary. In fact, they were very COVID fatigued during this time. You know, um, as we're starting this series, our, we want to do this. We want to explore how Christmas can give us hope during this dark season of COVID. You know, we as a family, I'm hoping the fact that we will be encouraged, will be strengthened during this time of hearing that this familiar story, this incarnational story of Christ, of Jesus Christ during this season. And maybe in the fact that maybe we'll be reminded of some old promises, and hopefully these promises can be made new again in our lives. Now, when we think about, and we just read the first Christmas, right, a little bit of that, you know, what are some images that come to mind? You know, for me, you know, I was thinking as the fact that, you know, there might, there might be images of a stable of, of a baby born in Bethlehem. And possibly in the fact that there's humble shepherds that come to go and worship this, this, this child. And then there's these wise men that start their journey from afar. And words, things like silent and still and wonder and awe kind of gather of images that are in our mind. 
thinking about this past year, it has been nothing like that, right? When you're thinking about the fact that the fear of the virus, the lockdowns, the stay-at-home orders that we're in again, and the fact that, you know what, the worst thing of all, no toilet paper in the grocery stores again. Hopefully, there is going to be toilet paper in the grocery stores. Maybe on a more serious note, the political drama that we've been hearing, maybe more serious more than that, is the fact that you know, maybe some of the people have lost their jobs or maybe lost their businesses the arguments and the stress that is at home because kids are at home wondering if they're going to go to school hybrid and now they have to stay at home. You know, all of the stress that is there. You know, for some it's been an, maybe an end of relationships, maybe an end of a marriage. For others possibly, maybe you've lost a loved one. You know, I think through all of this and I sometimes wonder, where is God in all of this? And it seems as if he is so silent during this time. You know, when I think about the first Christmas, it's not that peaceful scene that we make it out to. And the fact that many times we think it's this peaceful scene, but in the beginning, what's happening is the fact that Joseph is thinking about divorcing Mary because the child that she's carrying is not his. You got Herod the king thinking about the fact that, oh, there's going to be another king of the Jews. Let me go find him, so kill him. That he sends these wise men, and these wise men ultimately defy his orders. They see this child thinking, I think he might be the king of the Jews. So they bring him gifts, but they have to hide on the way back because Herod most likely is going to be looking for them. And when you think about this, the story of Christmas many times is more filled with tumultuous times of things like endless distractions, maybe invoking maybe a harsher vocabulary. You know, maybe we should use things like strife and stress and chaos and, and, and commotion. Where is God in all of this? You know, sometimes we feel as, if they feel as if God is so silent. You know, what is he doing in the midst of this season as we're getting closer to Christmas? You know, for some of us, maybe we might be thinking the fact that God is giving us the silent treatment. You know, the silent treatment meaning the fact that we've been praying and asking God for direction during this time and we're not hearing a thing. Maybe you're going through at times of illness or sickness and you've been asking for healing, but nothing's happening. Maybe during this time you've been wondering about your kids, staying at home, trying to figure out, I'm, I have to stay at home too. The stress that is at home and you're wondering if your kids are going to go in the wrong direction. Sometimes we wonder, okay, God, can you just speak to my heart during this time and you don't feel a thing. And we, we wonder at the fact that God is giving us this silent treatment. Or maybe he just kind of passed us by. You know, how do we respond when we are having those feelings? We know that, you know, if you've been a Christian for a long time, we know that many times God is very silent. But it's hard for us to accept it, except, especially the fact that you're going through some kind of hurt or pain. Especially if it's something kind of physical pain because it's constantly there and it's very, very discouraging. Or the possibility and the fact that you're thinking, well, there must be a purpose in there. We know there is, but what is it? Or sometimes we ask to ourselves, you know, there must be a certain way that we ought to respond to this, right? There must be a better way to respond than the way that I'm doing it now. And so the better question is like, you know what, how do I respond so I can take advantage of this time? You know, we read through the uh, parts of Matthew, but I wanted us to do this. I want us to go look through our Bibles and maybe look at another book that many times we miss. And so if you were willing to, um, before the book of 
Matthew. There is a book just before that, and, um, and it's actually right after um, Malachi. Um, I, 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 it's always in the back of my mind. Someone called it the book of Malachi. And so if, you, if you're looking for the book of Malachi and between Matthew, and you're looking for that, and you're wondering, in our Christian Bible, there is no book between Malachi and Matthew, right? For me, there's a piece of paper that says the New Testament, blank page, Matthew. And many times, you know, we carry our digital Bibles. Many times we, don't, we miss out on the very visual keys in which God gives us through our physical Bibles. You know, one thing that's one of the most important pages within the Bible is actually called the table of contents. We've seen the table of contents before. And in the table of contents, many times, you know, we hear, you see the different chapters. But what we realize is the fact that the Holy Bible is made of 66 books. 39 within the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And what we realize when we're reading the Old Testament, it seems like such a different world within the New Testament. And what we realize is that there was actually a space between the old and the new. And that space, that gap in between, is actually 400 years. We would call it the 400 years of silence. Many times there's no book that is written, and it seems that like God is silent within the world. You know, we kind of wonder what was happening during this time. You know, in the, in the book of Malachi, it was written about 400 B.C. And during this time, it brings down the curtain of the Old Testament. And as the curtain is coming down, God's voice resounds so loudly during this time. Of the 55 verses that are in Malachi, 47 are spoken by God directly. It's a higher percentage than any other book. And truly, God's voice just penetrates during this time. As if God was constantly trying to go and get our attention as he was going through the Old Testament. And as we're going through, and all the time, we, he says, yeah, we'll get, we'll get right with you, God. And he says, okay, I love you. Come back. I forgive you. Continually, over and over again. And all of a sudden, when we start getting to the book of Malachi, God gives one final chance. In the book of Malachi... It says this at right at the end. Of all of the prophets, most of them end with hope. Malachi actually ends with a word of warning. In verse 5, in chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. We know that's John the Baptist. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and children, hearts of children to their fathers. Then he ends it like this. At least I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Closes the Old Testament. And all of a sudden there's 400 years of silence. You know, sometimes we wonder, where is God in the midst of all of this? And sometimes we wonder where God is in our lives. But in Malachi, the Old Testament closes with this warning. But all of a sudden God is behind the curtain working out the stage. And all of a sudden he is setting up the blessing, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ that is seen in the New Testament that we read in the Gospel of Matthew. And so when God sent Malachi, it was about a hundred years before, there was Zechariah and then also um, Haggai. They were encouraging the people to go into, back to Judah to rebuild the temple that was destroyed by Babylon in 586 B.C. So they had their cutting tools, and they were building this stuff. But all of a sudden, they lost their cutting edge. They began to lose their fire. They lost, it. They lost their passion. And if they, they weren't causing big, blatant sins. But somehow, mediocrity just kind of crept in to their lives. 
And so the Lord sends Malachi to go and speak to these people about their lukewarm heart. And I wonder if sometimes we can do the same. So we call this space between the Old Testament and the New Testament, this 400 years of silence, and we wonder where God goes. You know, God is so silent. And many times we can feel that God is so silent too. Maybe we've done something wrong. Maybe he's just mad at us. And the fact that, you know what, we, you know, when we get mad, we, we got all angry, we storm out of the room, and all of a sudden we feel a little bit better. And then God comes, like, okay, he cools down. He comes back, it's okay, I'll send my son. And we can feel as if maybe he's just, if that's what happened in the 400 years, especially when the relationship ends, especially when the fact that there's something going on in our life and we just can't hear from God during that time. And it's hard. And sometimes we can even come to the point where we're not hearing God and we feel as if, you know what, that there is no God. We feel that, you know what, there, maybe does God really exist? And we can come to that point. But I want you to know the fact that there is a God that he many times is silent, but he is not absent, that he hasn't gone anywhere. Won't you please go and open up your notes if you have got your notes out and everything. It might help you as I kind of go through some of these 400 years really quickly, okay? So number one is this. If God is not absent when he is silent, then what is he doing in the silence? And I'll give you the answer right away. It says God is preparing us to see him more clearly. You know, God is actually working behind the curtains on that stage, reshifting things maybe in history during this time. Let me give you five things in which God did in that 400 years. One thing was some political shifts. Think Persians, Greeks, Romans. Persians, Greeks, Romans. Persians were the ones who were in charge of the land during this time. But all of a sudden things changed when the Greeks came in and conquered with Alexander the Great in 333 B.C., the Persians were conquered. Alexander, at the age of 20, establishes Greek rule over the land. Well, all of a sudden, he was also a student of this renowned philosopher, Aristotle. So he wanted to go and pass along this great teaching, this Greek culture, to all corners of the world that he conquered. One of those places in Palestine where the Jews were at. And when the Jews were there, basically they were forced to go and accept and practice this Greek culture and language. And this was called Hellenization. Well, during this Hellenization, the priests, were t- the, the temple was taken over. They were supposed to offer things to the Greek gods like Zeus. But one person, his name is the priest was Mattathias. He resisted this Greek Hellenization. And all of a sudden they will get independence in 63 BC. Well, in 63 BC, the Romans took over and everything. But at this time, politically, God actually protected his temple. There were some cultural shifts. You know, Greek thought and language was kind of going around the world. And the Romans actually really liked that too. But during this cultural shift, what happens is the fact that God still preserved his word of the Old Testament. So in the city of Alexandria, where the Old Testament was, you know, it was, it was, it was going to be translated from Hebrew and Aramaic all of a sudden into this Greek language between about 275 to about 100 BC. Also, the New Testament ultimately would be written in Greek as well. There were some geographical shifts that happened in this 400 years that the Roman Empire was expanding throughout all of the land. But they also, when expanded their transportation system called the Pax Romana, which allows for people to travel safely and freely throughout all of the land. Which was a really good thing because the, the Jews that were in Palestine, now they're able to travel throughout the different parts of the world. 
They had to speak Greek, but they now could set up a synagogue and they also pray at a synagogue all around the world during that time. There were some religious shifts that happened. And the fact that there were some group, you know, there were priests, you know, in the temple, but now there were two um, parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that we, we kind of read about within the New Testament. The Pharisees, they, had, they wanted to make sure they kept the religious traditions and practices of their Jewish faith. So that kind of protected that. And also in the Sadducees, they were more politically minded during this time, but they tolerated the Roman rule. But this allowed for stability between the Romans and the Jews. And so this would allow, and the fact that there was also the scribes, right? The scribes actually preserved the writings that many times that we have today. And all of these things happened during those 400 years. And also there was this thing called the language shifts. And we've talked about it. The Greeks, you know, you have to speak Greek now. In fact, also Latin. So the language of the Jews during that time was Hebrew and Aramaic. But they now, all, everyone now had to speak a common language of Greek. And the Jewish Bible was also translated in Greek. Now, as the curtain went down in the Old Testament, all of a sudden the New Testament rises up. 400 years later, the world is new. It's prepared for this one thing, for the rapid spread of the gospel, if you think about this. That the world was so new and the fact that it was easy to travel, it was actually safe to travel because the Romans had just ruled over everything else. There was Jewish sediments called the Jewish diaspora that was put all around the world with these synagogues. And this is where Jesus would go to all around the world. This is where Paul would end up going traveling on his many missionary journeys. That over 15 million people would hear the gospel about Jesus Christ. And so God was working behind the scenes. That the silent years ended with the birth of Christ. And what we need to learn is this, is the fact that in the midst of silence, God is not absent. That he is working on our behalf. That he hasn't gone anywhere. That this Christmas story, it prepared for us the way for us to go and hear about Jesus. And when I think about today, the same is true for us today. And the fact that we wonder where, what is God doing in our midst right now and he seems so silent. And we need to be reminded about the fact that God is working on our behalf. We might not see what he is doing, but you know what? He, he does this for one thing, that we will see Jesus more clearly in our lives today. You know, though God may not show up exactly that we, the way we want, the way we expect, but he is still will show up. And so if God is not absent when he is silent, what is God doing in his silence? He's working on my behalf. He's working on your behalf. So ultimately, we will see Jesus a little bit more clearly within our lives. And that's number one. Number two is what is the purpose for all of this? You know, when I was reading through Matthew and, and I was thinking about this whole thing, the fact that Joseph is contemplating, you know what, should he go and divorce Mary? Because he knows that for the rest of his life, he would have all these scandalous onlookers who will continually talk behind his back. It might have been much more easier for him just to go and just, you know what, just divorce her quietly. But at this point, this angel shows up, tells him exactly what to do, gives him some scripture for him to, he takes his scripture of old, makes it, makes it like, you know, very like, relevant for him today. And he, he gets what he needs so he's able to believe. And I'm thinking, I wish God would do that for me, Right? I am stressing, I'm struggling, I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. This angel shows up, tell me what to do. 
give me some scripture I can hold on to. That would be awesome. But I need to be reminded the fact that many times God is just silent. That many times there's a purpose within his silence. That many times, you know what? This is very important. That many times his silence is good for me. That many times God's silence is good for us. You know, when God is silent, he's being good to us because he's trying to build up. He's trying to expand our faith. And let me explain this to you this way with a spiritual check. Maybe in the midst of silence, when things are really quiet, and you're wondering, what is God doing in our lives? Maybe it's our opportunity to do maybe a spiritual health check. Number one is this. Maybe he allows this time that he's revealing some hidden pockets of sin that's within our lives. We know that by, by God's word that nothing will separate us from the love of God. But we also know the fact that, you know what? Our fellowship with God can be broken. And that's what sin does. Maybe we're defying him. Maybe we're not in his will. Maybe we're purposely not trying to go and follow what he's saying in our lives. And we're in sin. I am so happy that God is not saying something right now. Judgment on you, right? Maybe we should do what David did in Psalms 139. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way and lead me into your everlasting way. And many times God gives us his space so that way we can reveal sin back to him and confess those things. Number two, maybe he allows us time to just to worship him with gratitude. You know, many times in our situation, the challenges that are in our lives, we can over-examine, we can over-criticize the things that are happening. And maybe this is our opportunity that God allows us just to be still and just worship him as being God with an incredible sense of gratitude of the things that we do have, that we still have him. And maybe God gives us that space for that. Maybe he allows us this time to just to find community. You know, in the midst of quietness, we know the fact that we are not to live in isolation on our own. We're supposed to live with God, but we're also supposed to live with others. And he gives us this space to find fellowship, to find friendship, to find support, maybe opportunity to go and hear from other people, teachings and how they can encourage us. And that we can grow in our faith in things of honesty and accountability and friendships, and learning how to encourage others and how to draw near to God. Maybe he allows us during this time that I know for many, it's been a time where our disciplines, of, of, of our spiritual disciplines, of things like prayer and things of reading the Bible, and maybe he gives us an opportunity to get back into his word. Maybe he gives us an opportunity to start praying and start talking to him, and more importantly, listening to him again. And number five, most important is this. Maybe he allows this time of silence where he's not speaking, that he gives us a time of rest. We don't need time to overthink things through. We don't have to kind of figure out what the agenda is next. We don't have to think about how to go and solve all the problems. Maybe he gives us some space so that way we can just take time to be still and rest. Because many times what happens physically when we don't get the rest, we become unbalanced it can kind of distort our relationship with God and others. We make bad decisions. You know, and it's been a tough year for many of us, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And maybe God just gives us this space. He says, just rest. You know, when God is silent, he does have a purpose. And that purpose many times is to go and do this, to build 
our faith. Indeed, you know, without silence, no one can come to know God. And lastly is this. How do we take advantage of this time of silence? You know, I wish, I still kind of wish that God would just speak to me. I wish that God would just kind of say a word to me, right? But many times he's silent. Many times God has already spoken. Many times through his word, maybe times of prayer, maybe through someone else. Maybe we've been journeying and we know the things that we need to do. And many times we need to follow the things that we already know, even though we don't know how it's going to end. You know, this Christmas story of hope is found with this. is the fact that we give our time and our attention to the things that truly matter. And that we learn how to move forward in pursuing him. In the midst of all the things we don't know how it's going to, we continually move forward in pursuing the divine. You know, when I think about these wise men, you know, they, when I was reading about Jesus, and they, they, find, him, they find Jesus not as a baby in a stable, but they find him at home. In fact, he, we, we end up finding that he's two years old. So these wise men, we don't think that they're believers, but they travel from the east. They think, we think maybe about 500 miles. People would say it would take about a couple months, a few months. I'm thinking it's years because they find Jesus at two years old, right? But the amazing thing is this. They never turned back. You know, these wise men, they came from the east. We know they came to worship this Christ child. They brought these gifts of value. And they were indeed wise choices. Things of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, gold was recognized as a standard of wealth. Frankincense at that time was even more valuable than gold. And it was used in sacred temple ceremonies. And then you had myrrh that was worth even more than the other two. And the fact that they were used for healing ointments. Now, the abundant amount of these things, this invested amount, I mean, these incredible, valuable gifts were laid before a child that they believed to be the savior of the world. And yet, I want you to think about this. And this is most more, more important. In the fact that far above all of the pieces and the priceless gifts that they had given, these Christmas gifts that they have offered before Jesus, which is a wise choice of, of gifts. But these men offered something that was beyond money's reach. They offered their time and attention. That they journeyed from afar, that, that must have been something they felt like they just wanted to give up. And the fact that it was long, difficult, uncertain years. And the fact that there were just long moments of doubt where they thought, you know what, maybe I should just turn back. Yet at the same, same time, they were undaunted still that these wise men decided to keep going, that they were able to go and bring their gifts, consecrate their gifts before Jesus. But, but beyond that, they gave their time and attention, and if you want to add another word, their sacrifice. You know, as we take this moment to think about this holy season that we're about to enter into Christmas, we have to think about placing our time and attention to what matters the most. That what matters the most is truly the fact that if you find Jesus during this season, and the fact that you will find that, you know what, he is the one that goes and he has the power to redeem troubled souls. He's able to go and help us through the times that we're going through right now. And then it's not so difficult for us to go and start seeing and feeling the true sense of what this season is all about, 
the true silence, the true stillness, the true wonder, and the awe of this season that we celebrate, that we call Christmas. You know, during this time of the silence, we can find the thrill of hope. We find this thrill of hope when we, we realize the fact that God is preparing something so that we ultimately will see Jesus more clearly in our lives. We see the fact that, you know what, right now in the silence, he's being good. He's so being good to us so he can build our faith. He's using this time also that we can give our time and attention to what truly matters. And hopefully you will find Jesus, that you will be able to find and pursue him. I say pursue the divine because I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're someone who's been a Christian for a long time. I don't know if you're someone that maybe possibly, you know, someone forced you to come to church or watch online. Maybe you don't know who Jesus is. And maybe this is our opportunity to say, you know what? Thank you for Jesus. Thank you you sent him to, as a baby. And ultimately he came to die on the cross for my sins. I realize the fact that I'm a sinner in need of a savior and I want him to be mine. And I make him my savior I make him my Lord. And Lord, just make me the kind of person you want me to be. And if we would say a prayer just like that, he would come into our lives and that he, will, he truly will make us different. And as we think about this Christmas season, let's continually seek after him because he's trying to build your faith. Let's go after him and the fact that he is now working on our behalf even though we don't see him because ultimately he's growing you and making you someone that's different this coming year. So indeed, without silence, no one can ever know God. Let's take time to pray. So Lord, I come before you. We thank you, Lord God, for this opportunity we have to go and just be with you. In the stillness of this hour, Lord God, we ask that you would just make yourself known. But even though you don't, Lord God, we know that you have doing something on our behalf that you are helping to build our faith, that you're helping to be new and be different than what we are right now. I pray, Lord God, that you would help each one of us pursue you so much more because we need you in the midst of all the things that are happening. It is so uncertain, but there's one thing that we can be certain of, that you are there with us and that you are there loving us and that you're there for us. We thank you in Jesus' name I do pray, amen.